We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Villato. Coming to you live after the Giants' week three loss to the San Francisco 49ers. Unfortunately, Nick, I was very close to nailing the score prediction. That's one of those that you don't feel good about getting right in life. I think I said 30 to 13. Or it said 30 to 13 or 33 to 13. It was 30 to 12. It's had a good feel for how this one was going to end, unfortunately, for the Giants. But having said that, I got to say, Nick, yes, the final score was that. But I feel like the Giants competed somewhat in this game for a little, bit, a little longer than I expected when you consider just how limited they were. I tweeted about this after the game or during the game. I don't know what the options were. People are in my replies all night, Nick, saying, where's the creativity? Get Jalen Hyatt on the field. Why aren't we dialing up deep shots? Why aren't we running the football? And I don't know what the expectation could be when you're facing a San Francisco 49ers defensive line with Fred Warner, with Dre Greenlaw, who we both talked about, and Huff, and the safety, Huffnigga, whatever his name is. I don't know how to pronounce that. Huffnigga? Hufunga. Who, you know, all play in a role as well on the run defense. I don't think running the ball would have worked with Shane Lemieux and John Michael Smith making a second career start and Marcus McKethan making a second career start and Azudu playing left tackle and Evan Neal, whatever's going on with him right now. Like there were no real options in my mind for this game. So when you consider how hamstrung the giants were by the offensive line tonight, and this wasn't like the typical complaints you get from giants fans and offensive line. No, this was real. Like Shane Lemieux was starting in a game. And I know that was a coach's decision to start him over Mark Lewinsky, whatever. But like Shane Lemieux is your starter. And Marcus McKethan, who, yes, he had a good game against the Cardinals, but it was the Cardinals. They had like, they were down to practice squatters by the end of the game on the defensive line. And they had no one in there. And then you got a center who's a rookie playing his second start. And Evan Neal, who simply doesn't look good. Like I know people like, and my replies were like, oh, Evan Neal kind of looked better tonight. I'm like, I guess if you factor in that everything was a two-step drop, like sure. But like the times they didn't have two-step drops, he got beat by Bosa three times, including once where they tried to help him. And so like, I don't know what the Giants could have done to make this thing more competitive than it was, which was three quarters of a competitive game, Nick, and one quarter of a, of, you know, game gets out of hand in the fourth. I don't know how you felt. I didn't come away from this feeling that discouraged. Like in some ways I almost felt like a little tiny bit encouraged by this. Maybe a tiny yeah. bit encouraged, but what did we expect? If the giants went into this game, Dan with Andrew Thomas and Ben Bredesen, we would have still said, the Giants' offensive front is outmatched against that defensive front with Javon Kinlaw, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, all of them. And the Giants didn't have that. The Giants didn't have Saquon Barkley. The Giants were vastly undermanned. And it was 3-3 at one point in this game. And the Giants' defense actually forced a punt. And we were like, oh, look at this. And then the <laughs> Giants tried the play-action boot, backed up in their own end, and tasking Daniel Bellinger, who got off to a late start there, but tasking a tight end to block a end man on the line of scrimmage named Nick Bosa is difficult, especially when Bosa yeah. was keying that play the entire time, was not fooled by the run. I think that was a coaching point because they punted. It was like fourth and two. And San Francisco punted the football, pinned the Giants back in their end. And they were probably like, hey, if it, if it looks like he's doing the play action boot, go right at the quarterback. Do not yeah. let Daniel Jones get on the move. And that's the second defense that we've seen do that. The Cowboys did the same exact thing. And what did Daniel Jones finish with? 
five rushes in this game. He didn't have any time, really. And I felt like he actually maneuvered the pocket in a solid manner, despite the fact that there was a lot of pressure on him. Giants were allocating six, seven guys in protection to help out Azudu, to help out Evan Neal. And that's not going to really let you have a lot of success passing the football. They were trying these quick concepts. Everything was quick. A lot of people were talking about, hey, why wasn't Jalen Hyatt involved as much? It's because the Giants didn't have time to attack deep. I think they were going to attack deep on that first and 10 and ended up in a sack and almost a safety against the Giants. I'm not sure if Hyatt was on that field, but imagine that's what they were attempting to do. So yeah, I mean, it was a disappointing loss, but the Giants were vastly outmanned. And then we could talk about the defense a little bit later, but in terms of the offensive side of the football, and also they were, Giants didn't really seem like they were in sync in the second half of the game, too. A little bit of miscommunication between Daniel Jones, Darren Waller. Daniel Jones was off target. Darren Waller popped the one ball up in the air for Ufanga to intercept. So just a little bit of frustration there. Yeah, without a doubt, Nick. And shout out Tom Ty, by the way. Uh, thank you for the donation during the live chat here. He said he'd like to buy a beer for Dan, which I will drink. And a soda water for the Nick, which, you know what? I'm also a fan of soda water. I drink a lot of those those uh, seltzers, Nick, as well. Water, Nick's got me onto Waterloo. Also, I thought doing live watch-alongs, Matt Pullican, thank you for donating to us. We have not thought about that. I know um, that's something that Entertainer does, and it's interesting. Maybe that's something we had at some point. It's probably a difficult task for, for Nick and I, just given our circumstances on Sunday or CBS at the time, so it's not as easy, but... Definitely something to consider. Nick, I want to say this as, uh, as a reply to what one of the points you made. Like, I felt like the, the big plays you talked about was when they tried the boot rollout and Bosa sacked Jones for what could have been a safety, wasn't a safety, ruined that whole drive, killed momentum. When Brightwell dropped that pass on the first drive, that was such a momentum killer for the Giants uh, on that one. And then obviously, end of the game, people are calling it a drop from Waller. I, I, I just got a bad to throw. It was a bad throw. I just gonna have to laugh this one off if if we can't call that a bad throw. I mean, the problem is this: like, okay, could Waller jump and make that catch? Sure, but he's not thinking of jumping there. He's thinking about running his horizontal plane, catching the ball out in front of him, and moving after the catch. Like, then it just comes high and above his outstretched fingers at six foot six. That's a bad throw. It needs to be in front of him, and it's okay. I felt like Jones, honestly, Nick played a pretty good game, all things considered. I didn't think he was rattled at any point like he was at times against Dallas in the first half against Arizona. Felt like he was calm, collected. Thought he made some good throws given the circumstances, and to be honest, like, did the best he could considering they had to do two step drops the entire time, essentially, to make up for this offensive line. But that was the one throw I'm sure he wish he would like to have back. The back shoulder throw earlier to Waller, though, was great. The one that drew the P.I., that was awesome. Like, that's the type of stuff we've been looking to see from Jones for a while. And oh, yeah. the back shoulder he threw in the two-minute drill was also awesome. I was thinking, like, you know, I get that you can't do much with an offensive line like this, but I was hoping we'd see a few more situations where the following happened, Nick. These are the only things I was frustrated with about the coaching staff, given how hamstrung they actually were by this combination of offensive line. And I want to stress Shane Lemieux playing his first game since COVID. Just an insane move by the Giants. I know they're going for a spark. It kind of worked with McKethan last week. They're just like throwing the dice, going all in on this thing. But like, yikes, that one pat, the one sack he gave up was like the exact same thing I saw his rookie year with no improvement despite the years. But what I was going to say is, like, I get they were hamstrung, but one thing I would have liked to see a little bit more of, Nick, and we talked about it last week, where did they generate a lot of their chunk plays from? A lot of their chunk plays are when they brought in 12 or heavy personnel, they set it up to look like a run, they got Jones under center, he ran play action, they used extra guys to protect, and he ripped against a two-man route down the field with anticipation. I was hoping to see a few plays like that, but it just never allowed itself to surface because they never really got into a mode where they were running the ball. And then the second thing I would like to see, even with this, given the factor of the offense line is just a few more quick drop two step, rip a back shoulder or do step, just rip a ball outside the numbers around a receiver. Maybe draws a P high, maybe makes a spectacular catch, but just like when I watch these types of games, it, it, it sometimes feels so hamstrung when the offensive line is this like beat down as they were in this game. Also just seemed like the 49ers were in really good position a yeah. lot. They ran more man coverage than I expected after it's watching the Rams game where they ran a lot of cover four and a lot of cover three. And I got to say, they were just sticky on the New York Giants wide receivers. And there was one play, I think, I'm not even sure if it was play action, but they had the double Y set. And instead of motioning Darius Slayton from the double Y set behind Jalen Hyatt, they motioned Darius Slayton from outside the numbers behind Jalen Hyatt in the slot and attempted to kind of throw a different wrinkle at the defense, something they haven't seen yet 
but I think the pressure ended up getting on Daniel yep. Jones and the ball ended up going incomplete. I don't think it was a sack or anything, but I think at that point they're like, we have to find another way to manufacture offense. How are we going to move the football down the field? And it was a lot of attacking outside the numbers with a lot of little passes to Paris Campbell. And you trust Paris Campbell to maybe make a man miss, get some yak yards after the catch. And that just didn't happen. Same with Wandell Robinson, who I felt like looked like the Wandell Robinson from last year. Very encouraged about Wandell Robinson. And I'm not saying this to, to um, disparage Paris Campbell at all. I just think the 49ers defense is so fast, is so violent, and was so dialed into what the New York Giants were doing. And when you have that type of pass rush, you can just be stuck like that, man. Like You don't need to really worry about getting yes. beat over the top all that much. And they weren't. That's a great point you just made. I have a few things I want to pack there based on what you said. I first want to One shout out though. Steve yeah. Jones here. Really appreciate you donating to, to our cause here. And thank you so much um, to you. shout to, to respond to a few things you said there, Nick. I want to first say the last thing that start on the last thing you said. This is the Bennett. When you have a pass rush like the 49ers have and like Giants face against the Cowboys in week one, this is the benefit, right? Like you can have these situations just like you said, where you don't have to respect the deep half because you know that they won't have time to throw the deep half for the most part. And I think in general, the Giants just simply aren't going to have a good chance to win games against the elite D lines this year. Unfortunately, that's Cowboys, Eagles, 49ers. Sadly, like maybe things can break their way. They can get a tip pick. They can get a sack fumble. They can get some kind of big special teams play. But for the Giants to win the games where they're that outmatched with what currently they have on the offensive line and even projection over the rest of the year, I don't see the offensive line getting to a point where they can compete against these D lines. They're going to need luck based games and luck based wins. If they, if they make it to the playoffs, let's say wild card, then they face any of these teams. Let's be honest. They'll need turnovers. They'll need luck. It's just how they are. That's just how I match there. But I will say this about what you said, two things. One, Wandale, I also was encouraged by it. And I was encouraged by his first catch of the game, the route he ran to create separation from the slot there. That was a really, really nice route to get that from him right away. Week one, now, as far as the other throws go and the other catches, Wandale and Paris Campbell, I believe, combined for 45 yards on 10 catches, a 4.5 yards per catch. So I almost feel like I wasn't as like, I didn't feel like at any point I was disappointed with either of them after the catch. I felt like the 49ers were just like, look, we're not going to respect anything but your short shit. And that's it. We're driving on everything. We're sitting on everything. That's it. That's it. Just like the Cowboys did. That's it. And just like the Eagles did in the playoff game, that's it. And you know, I don't know the solution right now to it until they can rely on Neil to hold up on an island, until they can rely on Azudu or whoever's out there at left tackle to hold up an island, until they can sit back there and not expect Shane Lemieux to lose in two seconds on a pass rush to Javon Hargrave. And it wasn't even two seconds. Like, one, didn't even get his hands on him, it looked like. How many times are we going to watch an off a Giants offensive lineman this year not get their hands on a on a pass rusher? Like, that, that, the amount of times we've seen that already this year is insane to me. Like, to not even get your hands on the defensive lineman is crazy to me. That's how fast they are and how slow you are into your set. Um, so, <laughs> it is what it is, Nick, but I'll say this. The Giants are going to get a lot of bad contracts off the book next offseason. We're not thinking offseason yet, but it just came to my mind, Nick. If there are, if somebody makes the mistake of letting a Brandon Sheriff hit the market like Washington did a couple years ago, just freaking throw it in. Just send the bucket. Send the money. I, I'm ready for it. Get me a guard. Get me anything. I, I just, I'm ready. I'm ready to spend on the offensive line again. I know it hasn't worked recently. Mark Lewinsky, Weston Rich, you know, they drafted Richard. Mark Lewinsky, Nate Solder, Patrick Omame. It hasn't been working, but if there's a sheriff type, again, it has to be a young player coming off his rookie contract with not a major injury history. Throw the bag because the Giants are going to have cap space with Leonard Williams contract coming off the books. And you know, for sure, he's not returning. And I, he did have one decent pass rush tonight. The one that he got that crazy penalty on that. I just don't know how it's a penalty, but other than that, we, again, he had a sack too. He had a sack too. He did have a sack too. So give him credit for that for sure. Either way. I don't think he's making it back next year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us in this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round, or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. Man, I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. And you're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, 
and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup final week one this past season. I used the game time app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas, saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the game time app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view, not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Kayvon also had a sack, and that was a smart play by Kayvon to kind of undercut and notice that Brock Purdy had the ability to step up into the pocket, just ensure that that doesn't happen. But Kayvon still, like, one of his issues, and we're not really on the defense yet, but I'm going to talk about this for a little bit just because we're on topic. He doesn't string pass rush moves together, Kayvon Tato. He doesn't. He has one. He tries to win with speed around the edge, but he doesn't use his hands efficiently to get the blocker off of him to create space, to create that separation. It's something that we saw against Dallas. It's definitely something we saw against Arizona. And then tonight I was trying to pay attention to it when he was pass rushing and it was very similar. Now I'll have to go to the tape to, to firmly check that, but yeah, man, the the defense, we can, we can get into that, but in terms of offense, I'm right there with you with the offensive line. The Giants support so many assets into this offensive line. And when you can't compete against teams, these are the teams you're playing in the playoffs. It's not like you're going to be playing teams without pass rushes in the playoffs. You're going to be playing right. these good football teams in the playoffs. You have to find a way to protect your freaking quarterback. And the Giants still can't. And you can't just keep Daniel Bellinger and Darren Waller in the chip every single time. And so right. they run a two-yard route. Everything's covered downfield. Daniel Jones gets rid of the football, and they get tackled at the line of scrimmage. Right which happened not even for the chippers, but for the Wandales and the Paris Campbell. They were bringing those guys in to help. That was crazy when I saw Hodgins in there blocking, like helping to block. And also, by the way, there were times where they got used those guys to help, and then it still got through. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God, what is going on here? Also, I will say this, Nick, and I don't know because I didn't watch the tape on it. I don't know if you got a chance to, but, like, listen, you look at the talent on that Rams offensive line, it's much worse even than what the – now it's probably about what the Giants had tonight. (laughs) <laughs> but it's about that with the Giants at the ninth. The Rams don't have anything at all on that O-line. It's a trade for somebody, panic trade for someone at the end of camp. And they were able to generate offense against the Niners last week. And they were able to generate a passing game too. So just sometimes, and, I, and look, I'm going to be honest with everybody listening. Matt Stafford is a much better quarterback than Daniel Jones. I hate to say it, but yeah. he processes better than Jones and he has much better arm talent. And that's the factor there, but it doesn't mean this Jones fault tonight. Like there needs to be, it needs to work all together. The offensive line needs to block. They need to be able to, yeah, go ahead. I agree with D kit though. They have a better offensive line than the giants, the current state of the giants offensive, the Rams. Line. Yeah. Oh yeah. Steve Maybe. Avila, Rob Havenstein. I think they actually it's... established some sort of run against Sam. Maybe that's what it was. Williams. Yeah. No, but look at like, think about the giants offensive line tonight without Andrew Thomas, JMS. Fair. Yeah. JMS is probably your best player on that offensive line that's saying something this is a dude making his third start as a center yeah. you know second round pick everybody else probably he's definitely the best guy on the offensive line tonight wasn't even he like close he had one block i think it was the breed of touchdown run where he climbed up yeah. green law and just picked green law off and then he's been climbing well all there. year i feel like he's moving really well to climb to that second level that's the positive i mean if you're looking for positives on the offensive side of the ball it's john michael schmitz it's wandell robinson on that one rep and obviously he didn't have many chances after that um, I, I, again, I thought J- Jones had a pretty solid game. All things considered. Wandale had a pivot route too. Oh, I, I missed that one. Catches and he yep. ran inside and it was just like last year. He just stuck that foot in the ground and he's automatically out towards the sidelines. One of the, Love it. one of the smoothest routes that you can run it. And it's so important for an offense that frankly sucks. And you can't complete anything deep downfield when the pass rush gets home. So frequently right. you need players like that. It just so happens that the 49ers were so dialed into it. Other defenses are going to be dialed into it too. The Giants, hopefully when they get Saquon Barkley back, they can establish a run to set up the play action pass. But this Giants offense significantly struggles when they cannot use the play action passing attack. And against a team like that with this offensive line, you're not going to be able to run the football all that well. 
Yeah, and that's the that's the problem. Teams know at this point. My biggest concern is kind of the breakdown of where teams are at with the Giants when they when defenses practically you know game plan against the Giants right now. What are they saying to themselves, Nick? They're saying we can get home with a pass rush. We may not even have to bring an extra defender, and we could sit on everything short. What else can they do at this point? Because like. You're right. The Rams offensive line, the current state of it is better than the Giants. That's why they were able to establish some sort of pass game rhythm. And I kind of agree with what you said. Like, maybe it is a little bit on the coaching tonight because at least the Rams tried to establish a little bit of a run so they can do some of the things the Giants did so well against the Cardinals last week. You know, get under center, get Jones right under the the ass of the center and have him run play action off a deep drop. Have him create some space in a pocket, have the tight end blocking, have a six, seven man protection and just let it rip to one of the guys. Um, But it's hard to do. In this spot, obviously, you know, the the 49ers have different personnel in the back end as well, not just up front. So that also makes it a little bit more difficult for the Giants here as well. I agree. It's also interesting, though. The Giants were moving the football. They could have scored a touchdown on that first drive if Gary Brightwell doesn't. We don't know. They might have bogged down in the red zone. Anything is possible. Kafka and Dable typically have a good red zone package. That's a very good defense as well. And then on the second drive, it got a little cute. They wanted to dial up a shot with the play-action boot and a big sack. And then next thing they know, they blink a couple times, and they're down 17-3. to And I think it was right. the first the first drive of the of the first or you know the second half. I'm sorry. They they tried to run the football with Gary Brightwell. It was a loss. And they had a bunch of those like just hits at the line of scrimmage. And, and then right. you're what second and eleven. I don't know if the Giants just trusted. I think they trusted they their didn't. quick they trusted their quick passing attack more than they trusted their running game. That's the other issue the with it. Though, Nick. No, exactly. I don't think that's the wrong decision. So the problem is I can't sit here and say uh, I somewhat second guess the coaching because they didn't give any opportunities to hit those big plays off of under center play action like they had last week against the Cardinals. When I know that the coaching staff looked at this thing like Lemieux, JMS, McKethan, Azudu, who hasn't been a good run blocking left tackle. He's been okay in pass protection. They haven't really tested him. And Neil aren't going to be able to block the run game. And they tried it right away with Brightwell, like you said. What happened? Hit at the line of scrimmage immediately. And what, and what do we also say? This is a different team than the Cardinals. This is a team that employs yeah. an even oh, front, yeah. a wide nine front, where you have those edges on the outside. It's hard to run counter against a team like that, yep. especially when you're working with guards like Shane Lemieux and Marcus McKethan as the backside pullers. You don't have someone agile out there. When you're going up against a tight front, you can block down, try to wash them down the line of scrimmage, and then isolate the end man on the line of scrimmage. And the end man on the line of scrimmage is Nick Bosa. It's difficult to run that. Now, you can run it away from him, but Drake Jackson is a pretty damn good edge yeah. as well, and it's just a different front. So the Giants, didn't, I don't even know if they ran counter once this game after employing it like crazy in the previous two weeks. I don't think they ran it once at all. I mean, they didn't run that ball much at all in this game exactly, in general. Yeah. No design runs for Jones. We talked about how that might be a thing. That was not a thing in this game. I think that's probably smart. They don't want to get Jones hurt in a game like this. We'll talk about this a little bit at the end, Nick, but like, in my mind, the season comes down to this week four game against Seattle. I hope everyone's healthy. And we'll, no, I really do believe that because this is a tough NFC. It's crowded. The Cowboys and the Eagles have established themselves. There goes one wild card spot. There's two left for the taking. And Seattle's going to be one of those teams competing for one. And the Giants are going to need that tiebreaker. It's a home game against Seattle Monday night. It's a game you have to win. And they're going to need it for tiebreaker purposes later in the later in the season. And we'll see what happens there. We'll get to that a little bit later, man. But I'll say this about where, where did you end off on there? Oh, on the run or the counter that they weren't running yes. the counter. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if I have too much more on the offense. I'm kind of ready to turn it over to the defense. Like I am as well. Just one more thing on yeah. the counterpoint. When you have really good linebackers, when you have a really good alley safety, it's difficult. To yeah, run. right. You counter. That's another matchup another problem thing. that the defense poses against the offense. But yeah, let's let's go over to our defense, the New York Giants defense tackling. Big issue in this game. And I get you're going up against, I would say, probably, is he the most physical wide receiver in the NFL? Debo Samuel, he yeah. has to be the most physical wide receiver. Like him in the or NFL. DK Metcalf, probably, right? It's like a combination of physicality with Debo Samuel, core strength, I feel like, and balance. It's, it's, these things are just through the roof as an athlete. Crazy, one of the craziest. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then Jordan, no, of course, one of the craziest things you've seen. Guys built to the guys like lower body, yeah. running back, lower body. Right. His acceleration is insane. And George Kittle, too, he was open so frequently on those out routes. I know. And the Giants just struggled to secure the tackle. And Jason, this is, goes down to Xavier McKinney. This is Jason Pinnock, Deontay yep. Banks. Trey Hawkins was juked out of his feet. Hawkins, like that times. one play was tough in the alley where he was coming down and trying to make that tackle and just missed. That yeah, was, I think it was one of the Mitchell. big third down. Yeah. I mean, and and I'll say this, the tackling was bad. 
we can start. We can we can get to that. Um, I I'll say this, Nick. I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised by the early run defense in this game. And I thought the early fire in general from the defense was so much better than how they came out against Arizona. They, and they benefited a little bit because I feel like San Fran brought out their big guns in the run game a little later in the game. Like they started with just some basic zone stuff. The giants were able to stop when they started to do the pitches on the outside. It was kind of game over for the giants run defense. You can always run to the exterior against this defense, but I was a little pleasantly surprised earlier. I thought the giants did a good job of kind of, pushing Purdy off his spot and getting him a little rattled and getting him a little sped up in the pocket and messing with the timing a little bit at times. And in a lot of ways, the defense held up until third down in this game a lot, man. Like they got him into multiple third and longs that should have been get off the field, get a punt. They got them into multiple third downs in the red zone. that should have been get off the field with a field goal. One did lead to a field goal later in the drive. The other was a touchdown. I think the other two were touchdowns. So I, in some ways I kind of have more, confidence in the defense after this game because i just feel like some of the things they allowed were hopefully coachable and hopefully correctable i don't know they lost yeah go ahead a lot of those third downs were third they were third and longs like you said third and 10 plus they they surrendered three of those but they were on quick passes or designed screens because wink martindale blitzed i think it was at like an 85 percent rate in this game and it might have slowed down at the tail end with all those bullshit garbage plays but he was sending the house he was blitzing and you're right on that first drive even before that that type of pressure was established. I felt like Brock Purdy had a bunch of throws that he missed. The one to Juwan Jennings was way behind him. There was a slant to Debo Samuel way behind him, was not on target, almost yep. threw that interception to a Dory Jackson that uh. George Kittle swatted away, almost had another interception later on in the drive. I was like, Brock Purdy's off the spot. And Wink kept dialing up the, the blitz. And I got to give credit to Purdy as the game progressed. He really settled in against that blitz. And that dime pass that he had to Debo Samuel is, again, man coverage across the board. Dory Jackson got beat. It's going to happen. It's one-on-one against a very talented guy. And the ball was placed perfectly to the outside shoulder where Dory really couldn't make a play on it. So I kind of wanted to tip my cap on that. to Brock Purdy for, for really settling in against the blitz. And the Giants weren't necessarily – I mean, the Giants were pressuring him. I mean, they sacked him, I think, twice in that in the game. If I'm not mistaken, I'll pull up the I stats. I mean, according right. to, I'll pull up the stats, but according to, um, what's his name? The 49ers beat writer. Let me get this. The Giants actually got a lot of pressure on Purdy. According to this stat, according to this stat, the Giants pressured him. Oh no, they blitzed him on 33 of 39 dropbacks, which is an insane number, by the way. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean they got pressure on all those, but they did send an extra. It just means they sent an extra pass rusher. But the ball was coming out so quick. Right. They were getting up, but the ball was really out, like right when right. the wide receivers were coming out of their breaks. And I felt like early on in the game, the Giants were doing really well driving down through the catch point. But then there were a couple plays over the middle of the field, like that deep dig to Debo Samuel. And when that when you allow that as a defense, you got to make the tackle right away. And Debo Samuel had, I think, 70 plus yards of yak in this game. You, you can't allow Ooh. that. And that's on the safeties, that's on the corners. And I get it. We already talked about his physicality and his strength as a ball carrier, but you're going to lose football games when you're allowing. 70 plus yards after the catch to one receiver. And that's not including Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, you're right, Nick. And I'm glad you brought up that throw from Brock Purdy. The touchdown of Debo Samuel is the best pass by far by any quarterback tonight, without a doubt, without you guys can don't, don't whine about it. Please don't get sensitive. It's a reality situation. The ball came out with anticipation before Debo Samuel got out of his break. He threw it back shoulder. It landed right in the perfect spot and it was downfield 30 yards by far the best throw we saw by any quarterback tonight. And it was a good example of what you said, Nick, which is he did settle down. Brock Purdy. He figured out the what the Giants were doing, and he adjusted to it, and that's why the game got out of hand at the end, unfortunately. Now, if the Giants were able to generate a little more offense, they might have been able to get into some kind of shootout there. Also, I want to shout out real quick um, Joe. Uh, do you see this one? Yeah, there we go. Joe yeah. Winograd. He says, I love your guys' podcast. I've uh, been watching for a long time. Glad to catch you guys live. My feeling is the Giants played about as well as I had hoped they would before the season started. Barkley Tommy, Thomas injuries, notwithstanding. I, I kind of agree with Joe on this one. And thank you, by the way, Joe, for, for chatting us out and for donating. But thank you, Joe. I, I do think like all things considered in this game, except for the injury to, to Deontay Banks, that's the one thing they came out of this thing with that. And, 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 got, and DJ and Davidson and DJ. Those are just depth injuries that could kill them as well, which did, did last year. And, I, and I'll be honest, Nick, I couldn't believe how long Dexter, I get it. They're like, oh, they have no one else to put in there. I don't care. Put in like freaking Shane Zimenez at defensive tackle. If there's three and 30 minutes left in a 30 to 12, I don't need to hear the excuse that there's no one left to D tackle. That's why Dexter Lawrence is in. If he gets rolled up on by an offensive lineman and he's out for the year, I don't give a f flying F 
that you needed to put a defensive tackle out. You put O'Shane's imminence, you line him at the three tech. I don't give a fuck what happens. 40 yard gain, who gives a shit? It's 30 to 12. And I shouldn't be cursing, but I am. This is just so stupid. I hate it. Like, get these guys out of the game late in the game. Enough is enough. They've already lost Banks in a game, Davidson and Nacho. Why the hell are these starters in with three minutes left down 20 points? Enough is enough at some point. And someone should talk to Dable about this because you don't need to put a defensive tackle out there. Like I said, I, you know what, Nick put Micah McFadden at the three tech. I don't care. I we literally should. don't care what happens. And now it's time to talk about McFadden, by the way, because he's by far and away the biggest silver lining of the game. What the hell was that Nick? <laughs> out of nowhere? Micah McFadden has an insane career game, like legit career game out of this dude. He just came off maybe one of his worst games that maybe wasn't as bad as we originally thought, right? He's reading the keys while he's just, it wasn't good though. Let's be honest. The film wasn't good. Yeah. Four tackles for loss tonight, a pass defense in the end zone that I thought was freaking awesome against McCaffrey. I know they were flagged on that play for something that happened like 40 yards off the ball on the other side. Hockley's crew was just firing tonight. Oh, flag. Like, dude, fire, 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 just oh, 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 ripping flags. I'm just going to flag the game out. Ones too. I love Stupid when they start ones. They just start ripping flags out. Oh, this is going to be a flag game. We're, we're taking this one over, boys. Anything you see, throw it. Um. But that was a good pass coverage by Michael McFadden, despite the flag that wasn't on him anyway. And four tackles for loss. He was reading. He was diagnosing. I think we're going to have a lot of fun clips to put up of him on Twitter this week, Nick. And good for him, because obviously we were I was harsh on him. You were somewhat harsh on him last week. People are saying, oh, you're coming at the kid. We're just criticizing what we see on tape. But when it's good like this, we're also going to point that out as well. And if this is the game that turns Michael McFadden's career around, awesome. Because the Giants need some kind of late round draft hit right now because they're not hitting on the early picks, Neil and Thibodeau, right now. Those are the ones that are really holding them back. So they're going to need something to hit at some point soon with the young drafted players. And McFadden got hurt in like the first drive and he was on the yeah. sideline wincing. We're like, oh man, we're going to lose McFadden. Is Isaiah Simmons going to get in there and we'll start seeing the Isaiah Simmons show? McFadden 41 gets back out there and balls out of his mind, has so many good plays and he had some missed tackles too. I think that's going to happen with Micah McFadden sometimes. But damn, dude, I was really, I was really impressed with his instincts. He knew where to be. He was diagnosing, similar to that one play that Darnay Holmes had. We got the Darnay Holmes showing after Deontay Banks ended up leaving and he had that freaking, I don't know why he's pulling on. Uh, Debo Samuel, when he had uh, help over the top, he had help over the top. He had help he over the top. He did not need to do that. It was crazy to see. Like, if anything, that's going to be intercepted if he just lets him go. Yeah, no, that 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 one was frustrating. I get the cave on Thibodeau, illegal contact, a little ticky tacky. Then the Leonard Williams roughing the passer. I'm like, oh, that gosh, one is ridiculous. It, it's just so difficult, Dan, to be a defensive player. I have such an affinity for the yeah. defense because they're the underdogs all the time. They have no idea what's going to happen and you can read and diagnose everything perfectly. But if you tickle the quarterback a little bit too much, you're going to get flagged and it's a 15 yard penalty. That's so disrespectful, man. Yeah. I mean, look, they say you're not supposed to come down with your body weight on the quarterbacks anymore. I can like, understand to some extent, but like, I just think of like, if they're asking these defenders, like on that play with Leonard Williams specifically, right? Cause they're asking him first to, to contact the quarterback below the head in the chest and, nice. and midsection area. Right. Which by the way, is not like, it's not always like a, a, how do I explain this? It's not always an optional thing for these defenders. Like if the quarterback ducks or moves his head in a certain direction and everything's going much faster than it looks on the replay, sometimes by accident, even if you're going for the midsection, you might hit a head. But put that aside for a second. If they're also asking them not to tackle the player and to just like hold up, which I now see a lot of defenders doing, they get the hit and they kind of hold up. What if we just see what we had saw happen like a decade ago when Matthias Kiguanuka wrapped uh, up Vince Young? Remember that game? That was more Matthias than Kiguanuka. no, that was 2006. 2006. It was more than a decade ago. Jesus, we're getting old, Nick, but we're getting really old. But <laughs> he wraps him up, Matthias Kiguanuka. And he doesn't want to get the roughing penalty. And then Vince Young just like spins out for a first down, changes the whole game. Like, so where are we going with this roughing rule? Someone needs to really, really figure this thing out. It's a tough spot for the NFL, obviously. Like they it can't is. afford to lose these quarterbacks. They're all so bad around the NFL. They can't afford to have like Jake Browning playing games on Monday night football. That's just going to kill the product. And it sucks because even the rookies can't like Bryce Young, man, it's not his fault, but he looks bad. Like, this is just what happens when you get thrown yeah. into the fire in the NFL with no weapon. Like, and this, you know, this is tip tip of the hat to the the Jones crew who talked about him during his early years with, with no weapons and stuff like that. But, you know, look, Nick, on the defensive side of the ball, I was impressed with McFadden. He had a career game, essentially. I was impressed with Deontay Banks before the injury. I hope it's nothing. 
apparently it's a forearm or something. He was questionable to return. He didn't play again. I don't know what that means for Deontay Banks, but these first two and a half games for Banks before the injury have been really good. And I thought he was really good tonight for sure. So he had the, he surrendered the touchdown to Bell. He got beat. Right. Big 10 versus Big 10 there. He got beat. It was a good, well placed throw and a, and a nice job by Bell to get both of his feet in bounds. He also almost came away with a tip on that seven route to George Kittle. I think it was the second 49ers drive, the one they forced a punt. It might have been the third, what have you, whatever. But Banks is more cerebral than I thought when he is in zone coverage. Remember, he had the PBU against the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, where he came off his receipt. Yep. When his ass is to the sideline, like we know what he can do in man. The, the kid's very sticky. But when his ass is to the sideline and he's executing a zone type of technique, he has the peripheral vision to see any other route that's going over top of him. That's not necessarily his assignment, but he has come off of his assignment and been very close or did make plays on the football. And that's something that we didn't see much in his college film, primarily because he was in man coverage like, I don't know, 75% of the time. Right. But. It's definitely something to be encouraged by when it comes to Deontay Banks. But again, man, I hope he's there. I hope he's okay. Trey Hawkins, one of the things we love most about him is his physicality. I don't know what the hell happened today. I see people saying, oh, man, he made a business. That's not Trey Hawkins, man. Trey Hawkins doesn't really No, he's not making businesses. I think he just got juked. Like, I think he just he misread misread the angle is what I'm going with. Not business decision at all. Trey Hawkins, either way, though, is a big play to get to, live, to let up at the time. But I am yeah. going to double back on what you said about Banks, though, because that's a really good sign that Banks – is already showing signs of a being sticky in man, but also b understanding zone concepts and being able to kind of come off and help at times. Just that cerebral aspect of playing cornerback that Deontay Banks has already shown. Just three three games in the career. We talked all offseason, Nick. It's so funny. Like, you know, we we never really thought we'd have to worry about like Kayvon Thibodeau adjusting the NFL or something like that. We were like, oh, corners, it's tough to play corner. It's going to be tough for Deontay Banks. Remember, we, we kept saying all offseason, like, guys, be aware. It's probably going to be four, five, six, seven, eight bad weeks before it gets better. And that just hasn't happened. And if you told me before the season, Nick, that Deontay Banks was going to have two and a half games that look this good, that was going to be like, oh, shit, the Giants are going to be awesome this year. Like, that was one of my biggest concerns coming in. And, like, so many other things have turned out to be concerns uh, rather than the play of the corners so far this year, specifically Deontay Banks. He has one of the best positional coaches in the league, too, Jerome Henderson. Yep. Jerome Henderson has gotten a lot out of a lot less talent than a Deontay Banks. JCNYC, thank you so much for the donation. Our safeties and defensive backs were squaring up with high tackling. They needed to tackle like Holmes, take the legs out. Purdy threw the ball well under pressure. I agree with all that. There's a lot of high tackling on this defense or just yep. wild tackling, not breaking down. You see Holmes. Now, Holmes was able to kind of break down, come to balance just because the, the player caught the football. Elijah Mitchell caught the football and was turning. It's much easier to do that rather than to square up Debo Samuel, who was running like full speed. So I get, I, I get, I get, um, why some of those missed tackles were a little bit wild, but you just, you're a professional athlete. Like Julian love, he's no longer on this team. Julian love was one of the more sure tackling players on this team. We're not seeing Nick McLeod out there right now. He's one of the more sure tackling. We need Trey Hawkins right. and Jason Pinnock to really cure that up a little bit because it's today was, was not a great site. I'll go to the tape to check it, but just all broadcasts did not look well. Yeah, tackling, I think, is an issue for this secondary right now. I don't think, you know, I think Hawkins may be a physical player, Nick, but I don't think that necessarily makes him a good tackler. It's going to make him a decent tackler at worst, but it's more, more like technique is an issue right now, I think, across the board with that secondary. And I don't think it's something that's really taught as much or practiced as much as it used to be. The tackling fundamentals, like in the Tom Coughlin era of coaches and Bill Parcells, like those were like non-negotiables. Like you wouldn't even get on the field if you're missing tackles the way the Giants miss tackles tonight. I don't ultimately know that in today's day and age with millennial type athletes and, and the Gen Z or whatever is below millennial, like that this is a thing that can like, sometimes it might just not stick. Like, like the way that they used to coach these guys, I don't know if it's the same thing. And I'm not so sure Wink's going to like have a big focus this week on the tackling, even though like, I feel like if this was a Parcells, a Belichick Parcells defense or whatever, this would have been number one. Like this is unacceptable. We go to this right away and we fix this right away type of thing. But tackling, in my opinion, could be an issue all year. We'll see what happens there. D-Kit, thank you so much as always. Thank you, D -Kit. Do you guys know why Kayvon wears that heavy brace on his left arm. I think it's obvious that it hinders his movement and tackling. Do you know why? I personally do not know why he wears the brace yeah. on the arm. Maybe he just has some concerns about his elbow. All those injuries, I think, in college, correct me if I'm wrong, they were all his ankle. It wasn't an right. elbow issue. But it's a good observation, DK. You have anything to add there, bud? I would just say it's a good observation by you. It's not something I saw, DK. I think a lot of the times with athletes, especially in the NFL, 
there's a lot of unreported injuries that'll happen during a year that just don't hit the injury report. You don't hear about them as fans. The media never gets wind of them. The players just play through them. And this could be something that Kayvon is dealing with that we just don't know about. Um, it would make a little sense to the point, like, and so here's the thing, Nick, you talked about it earlier, like with Kayvon, we haven't seen him string together pass rush moves. We haven't seen him really do anything, but try to, you know, win with that first step. But then we saw in the preseason, he put together a really good move. I think it was against the Jets where he used his hands and we were like, oh shit, maybe he is taking that jump with hand usage. Uh, he, he uses like, his hand. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. You cut out. He uses his hands well when he is attacking that outside shoulder, but just so he can bend around the edge. He has nothing else other than that. He gets into the outside shoulder and he tries to get the rip move. And he's okay at swatting or clubbing and then getting the rip and trying to shock the tackle and then using his balance and his flexibility to bend. And he's not even the most flexible. He's not like a Zizo Jolari flexible, but that's kind of his primary move. And I feel like someone like that, and I've even saw this when, when he played against UCLA in his last season at Oregon. He had like inside spin moves. They were like triple teaming him and he was finding out ways and diversifying his pass rush. And I just, I just haven't really seen that all that much this season. It's a little bit disappointing. It's fair. I think we have one from JP Turco here. Thank you, JP Turco, by the way, for, um, for donating here. He said, Dan, did the Giants get dinner with the San Francisco Giants? Uh, Huge fan of the show for both of you. If you're Shane and Dable, how are we putting this team in the best position to win Monday night? Good question. Nick, do you want to start on that one? I do. I think we have to wait and see if Saquon's going to be there. He seems optimistic. We have got news that it's a high ankle sprain and not a low ankle sprain. Still kind of a tall task. Maybe he's got that Tiger's blood, that Leonard Williams thing going on. But Andrew Thomas, hopefully he, he is there as well. I haven't studied Seattle's defense yet or Seattle's offense. I know their offensive philosophy from last year, which I don't believe it's changed. A lot of zone rushing. Giants are typically better against zone rushing teams. So yeah. I'm a little bit more concerned about is Deontay Banks going to play? Who's going to guard DK Metcalf? Do we have anybody who can handle even Jackson Smith and Jigba, who hasn't really done much in the NFL yet? But do we have anybody who can handle him in the slot if Adore Jackson isn't playing the slot because Deontay Banks misses the game. That's kind of where I'm at with my analysis of it. But I, I don't believe their pass rush is nearly as potent yes. as what the Giants just went up against. I'm imagining the Giants are going to have Bredesen back at least, hopefully Andrew Thomas. So I think you're going to be able to see at least a semblance of a passing attack by the time Monday Night Football rolls around. And if that's the case, I expect the Giants to move the football and we might see something similar, maybe not as effective, but something similar to what we saw in the second half of week two. Yes. That's kind of where I'm at right now, but it's early. I like where you went there. And thank you, JP, again, for the donation and the question. JP, the way I look at this, this will be an, so whenever they're not facing the Niners, the Eagles or the Cowboys this year, <laughs> I got a couple more games against the Cowboys or, or against the Eagles. One against Bills, the, Cowboys. Too, yeah, the, the, Jets. Bills. the Jets actually throw him there. Um, but whenever they're not facing those teams and Seattle won't be one of those teams. I hope they go back to some of the things they did in the second half against Cardinals. What did we talk about earlier on the show? And during the week it's set up under center with Daniel Jones. Like you're going to run out of some heavier personnel and run play action and give him a runway to, to run that drop back off the play action, create five or seven steps of a drop, get himself in position. I saw him shuffle a couple times on the Hyatt throw 33 yards. He did a nice move and maneuver in the pocket where he did a five, six, seven jump drop, but also shuffled to his left, ripped the ball out there. If the pass rush is like Seattle's is going to be, you can afford to do that. And you can try to even establish a run game. You Even if the O-line isn't, like even if we don't get Thomas back, which I hope we do, I think he will play, but who knows? Even if we don't, Hopefully, so to answer your question, JP, here's another thing. I'm taking Shane Lemieux out of the lineup. One and done for me with Lemieux. I don't need it. I don't think he offers that much in the run game, and he's horrible in the passing game. I don't care who's in. I'll put Mark Lewinsky personally over Shane Lemieux. That's my personal take. Or I'll just, yeah, that's it. Just put in Mark Lewinsky. I don't think Shane Lemieux can do anything, really, that helps the Giants win. But if I don't, if I think I can establish a little bit of a run game, then I'm okay putting Daniel Jones under center for those deep, deeper drop play action shots because they're not really, here's the thing. And I know you probably agree with this, Nick. They're not really going to be able to generate shots in the passing game from shotgun in my mind. Like, I think if they're in shotgun, Nick, it's still going to have to mostly be quick game to run, operate out of shotgun based on how this offensive line looks. But if they get him under center and they run their pat, shot passing plays through play action, you run the ball more, you show the semblance of the run, which you're not showing when you're in a shotgun. And it 
does something, I think, to kind of give them an opportunity to get those shot plays off. So to answer your question, JP, I'm treating this a little bit more like I treated the Arizona Cardinals second half, which means I'm okay putting Jones under center and taking a few more deep shots than I am this week. And when they do operate at a shotgun, you can bring the zone read game back because defenses are going to respect Saquon right. Barkley a hell more than they're going to respect Gary Brightwell and Matt Breida. And then Barkley's that also going to be back for this game. I don't know. I okay. mean, he he's anticipating that he is. I, if I'm a betting man, I would say no, but it was still a lot of time. But when he does come back, now also help out your RPO game, which is a way to attack second levels. And I don't think the Giants are playing another linebacking group that's as physical and as dialed in as Greenlaw and Warner. Yeah, that's another good point there by you, because this is going to be a different linebacker unit. I mean, like Seattle actually has decent linebackers, especially with Wagner coming back there. But I think he's there now, right? Didn't Wagner resign there? I think he did, but Wagner's like what thirty five. He's old. He's old. But he's smart. He's <laughs> Jordan Brooks is there, but he's kind of a bust. But I do have good feeling, JP, to answer your question about how the Giants' defense is going to look against Seattle because of what Nick said. They're just this team is just simply going to run zone in the run game, and that's going to make them one dimensional, in my opinion. It's the passing maybe, attack. The passing the attack, passing attack is tough. The passing attack. This could easily be a game where we see Jackson Smith and Jigba have his rookie moment where he breaks out. That's definitely a concern for me, but we'll see what happens there. If you make them one dimension, I feel a little bit more confident. I'm excited to get into the tape too, to see exactly what was going on up front with the offense. I know the giants yeah. were keeping chippers in and stuff like that, but what did Evan Neal look like? How much help did Josh Azudu receive? What did Marcus McCaffrey look like? I, I want to head into Seattle, hopefully healthy with Andrew Thomas and Ben Bredesen. And then we reevaluate who the starters are yes. going to be. And if the, Andrew Thomas is there, is Josh Azudu versatile enough and up to speed enough to possibly kick over to right guard or maybe even left guard to play him depending on how he looked. I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that. Uh, Do you think right tackle? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm at the point with Neil where I need to, I need him to play the whole season. Most likely, unless, unless things get really, really bad with Neil, I need him to play because I need them. The, the ceiling of having anyone else there at right tackle is just not high enough. And the giants really need him to work for their long-term health. It's a good point by Joe. I think the Giants could perform better against the Bills than most may think. I also agree. That's a very excellent point, yeah. Joe. I really hope so. Just got to slow down, Josh Allen. If they're going to make one upset win this year against a big team, I think it will be the Bills. I would love that. That'd be a great story, too. And you know what? The Giants yeah. need any positivity they can get right now. Because Sands one half, this season is a just absolute disaster. I agree with that, but I also think like... So I do agree with that, Nick, and it's a good point. But I think not maybe not enough credit is given to to what they did do last week against the Cardinals. I get it. Like people just keep saying, oh, it's the Cardinals are the worst team. But do you know how hard it is to not only make that comeback, but then to finish it? How many times do we see teams make that comeback and then, oh, they fall short? It was a good comeback, but they couldn't finish it. To finish the deal tells me this team does have potentially what it takes if they can get everything right to make some kind of run. But of course, they have to get everything right to make that kind of run. The O-line has to play way better. The D-line has to play way better. That's really where it's at for me. Like, there's still levels to unlock, in my opinion, for this defensive line, without a doubt. Like, yes. Kayvon Thibodeau cannot be, this is not Kayvon Thibodeau's ceiling. This is not Leonard Williams' ceiling, in my opinion. I don't think he's just cooked and shot. Like, I don't think the, you know, Aziz, I know people don't want to talk about it because he's always injured, but, like, there's also a chance he has a six-game stretch of health. He had it last year. And, like, so I just don't think the defensive line is that ceiling and the offensive line. I guess it's more cautious optimism, but there's some optimism that can play better than this, at least. Leonard looked better this game, though. He, he did not look good against the Cardinals. Leonard looked pretty good from the broadcast. We'll see upon the All-22 yeah. and break that down. But he, he looked, needed it. He did. He did. He played the most uninspiring game I've ever seen of his career yes. against the Cardinals. I don't know what happened that that game. We have a good question here from Timmy. Tim, thank you so much. This is uh, something that Dan and I have tackled. Thanks, guys. Why don't we try to use Isaiah Simmons at edge like Micah? Dude's a great athlete. We need to generate pressure. This isn't working. I think, Tim, Timothy, the only time the Giants want Isaiah Simmons on the football field is if they're certain the opposing offense is not running the football. That's it. If they have, if it's like second, yeah. if it's third, like they don't want Isaiah Simmons out there, then you see Micah McFadden when they, when they align with those six, seven guys on the line of scrimmage, Micah McFadden is that other edge. And I would like to go through each of those plays to see if they're all, if they're all true passing situations, or are they like third and four? Because Micah McFadden is damn physical when he is flying downhill and like taking on those blocks, and he's pretty good 
at Indiana, he was excellent as a blitzer. Yeah. I think he was uh, the second, had the second most pressures of linebackers or something like that in all of the FBS. I think it's an underrated trait about Michael McFadden. I agree, though. Isaiah Simmons is a far superior athlete. I just don't think the Giants right now, because he's new to the defense and because he's not the most yeah. physical guy, want him out there if the offense has a realistic shot of running the football. But it is a good question, Timothy, because there's also been opportunities when the offense doesn't have that much of a realistic opportunity. I thought I think of a bunch tonight, third and eight, third and 12, third and 13, where maybe they could have put Isaiah Simmons on the edge and just seeing what that did for the defense. I, there were, you know, without Ojolari in there, there's not much of a threat outside of, I guess, Thibodeau, who right now isn't even much of an edge threat in his own right. Mm-hmm. So it is worth considering. I think I would lean Nick uh, to answer your question, Timothy, and to talk to you about it, Nick. I would lean more on what you said there first, which is they don't trust him yet system-wise. Like, he did just get traded here, very end of the process. Has only had, what, two, three weeks to learn the playbook? So I think there's a limited number of plays they feel comfortable with him on, and they don't want to put too many responsibilities on his plate. And we already know that if you're playing edge for the Giants, you also will be expected to drop into coverage sometimes. you also be expected to have responsibilities for the tight end who's chipping and leaking. So, like, they may feel like they don't want to have a mental error out there right now that could lead to a really big play. I could be mistaken. I think one of those long first downs, I think it was Isaiah Simmons' fault. I think it was a third and long, and Isaiah Simmons was out there, and it was a flare pass to either Elijah Mitchell or Christian McCaffrey. And I just saw 19 kind of like struggling or hampering to get over there. And it wasn't an athletic issue. He might have processed something wrong. Getting hot to confirm that on the tape. So circle back with me later in the week. But I do remember being like, why the hell is he so open and 19's on the field? Is that 19's assignment? Just wasn't entirely sure off the broadcast. I know the play you're talking about. I think it was when the right tackle uh, for San Francisco kind of like got got his hands up on him. I think some people in the chat are saying it was a hold by their seven, their right tackle. Ah, okay, good, good. Um, I, I think he was held on that. I don't remember the play fully. We'll have to re, we'll have to rewatch that one. I think I remember him like throwing his hands. Yeah, I think you guys are right. That's why I yeah. love having the chat here. Too. Yeah, the chat is fun to have yeah. here. Um, all right, Nick. Anything else on this game before we get out of here? Nah, we got to dive into the tape. It's yeah. again, what did we expect? You and I, I think our predictions were eerily close to this. I think I had 34 to uh, 17. So 30 yeah, to 12. I think I used a 30 to 13 or 33 to 13. So it sucks to get it close to right, but it just felt like this one was going to happen. Oh, John Branch. Thank you for, thank you for donating, John. You, John. Really appreciate this. John says, if you could take, we got one more from LL Cool John after this. So we'll, we'll hit all the questions after this and then we'll get out of here. John Branch, though, first says, if you could take a wild card playoff berth and a, and first round blowout or the number one overall pick next season, which would you choose? This is such a fun question. Oh, these questions. So that means this entire season would suck. I think I would choose a number one overall pick and try to just be really focused because that just gives Joe Shane so many options. Do you take a quarterback? Do you take Marvin Harrison? It's a great question. Um, you know, I've been covering the Giants now for for a for a series since twenty four seven sports days. Some of you shout out anyone who's listening now that remembers the twenty four seven sports Giants on twenty four seven sports. You see <laughs> Facebook live shows; they're fucking awesome. Um, since twenty sixteen, I believe, and I've got myself in a lot of trouble saying this, but I don't care. I'm saying what I'm saying. In a class like this one with Caleb Williams as the top yes. quarterback and the best quarterback I've seen since Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck in that tier, I'm taking the number one pick, and it's not even a question in my mind. And I'm trading Daniel Jones. This is my plan. And it's not – I don't even consider it. I don't care what any of you say. I don't want to hear whining about the, the offensive line, the receivers, whatever you're going to whine about. Caleb Williams and Daniel Jones are not comparable quarterback prospects. Sorry to say. It doesn't mean Caleb Williams will work out. He might get drafted to a shit team, get, get rattled, play, play terrible, and his career might not be good. But – I'd be willing to take the gamble that I could get in a Mahomes like level talent at quarterback, because that's going to give me 10, 10 plus years of 15 plus years of Super Bowl contention. Not to mention, I get him on a rookie contract and someone will trade for Jones. It, here's the thing, according to this, you know, hypothetical scenario, that's not going to play out actually, but it's fun to talk about. So I like the question. We'll get to yours in a second. L cool John, but you know, in this scenario, I would actually prefer it to be, this sucks to say, so I'm not going to say it this way. Um, I would prefer like some weird off field thing happens, I guess. And Jones misses the rest of the season. Like, I don't want it to be because Jones is playing poorly. Because if it's because Jones is playing poorly, they're not going to be able to trade him. It's because Jones had some weird off field thing and had to miss the rest of the season. They had to play Tyra Taylor in the games. Then he would still have a lot of trade value because he had a really good season last year, Jones. 
or Jones can play well and the Giants defense just sucks. They can't lose. They can't get the number one pick with Jones playing well, though. In this fantasy world, they can, though. <laughs> I guess it's possible, but like that means one side <laughs> of the ball is playing well. It's hard to be the worst team in the NFL. If any, usually the worst team in the NFL has nothing good about them, the offense or the defense. But, you know, the point of the fact of the matter is like in this hypothetical world, both Nick and I are taking the number, taking Caleb Williams and we're not really thinking twice about it. Um, to be completely even honest, say, even say, yeah, I'm going to take Caleb Williams in that situation. But even say you were going to roll with Jones. How much is that number one pick worth? Oh, my God. Yeah. Insane. In this class, you could trade back two spots, Dan. You can trade back two spots, get an absolute haul, and then get Marvin Harrison or something. You know, so like there's just so many options. You're hauling out on this, especially if Drake May has a good year or any of those other quarterbacks. And then you could really trade back three spots and get Marvin Harrison plus picks, like Marvin Harrison Jr. plus picks. Um, so and then LL Cool John, just a thank, just thank you so much. For your donation, just to thank you guys for the content throughout the weeks. Appreciate the knowledge, criticism, and your time on the pod. Thank you so much, LL thank Cool you, John. LL cool John. I, I love and that. I name. appreciate you, by the way, LL Cool John, for being able to call out that you appreciate that we are willing to critique this team. There's a lot of fans that we interact with and deal with that don't appreciate critiquing the team. They just want everything to be blue flowers all the time. Daniel Jones, the greatest quarterback in the NFL. If he just had a great all line and receivers, he'd be better than Mahomes. You know, this is the greatest team ever. Everything's bad luck. This is this, this is that. Thank you for understanding that objectivity is still worth something in this world, because that's what we're, we're based on. With a name like LL Cool John, I'd imagine he'd be very, um, <laughs> very on top of understanding stuff like that. And Michael Knight, I just want to answer this real quick. I'm a Paisan from New Jersey. He asked if I'm from New York, New Jersey, or if I'm from Arizona, I moved out to Arizona during the pandemic, probably yes. moving back to Jersey shortly. So that'd be awesome to interact with more, uh, listeners of the shortly. podcast. How shortly are we talking? Probably after the football season. I just oh, can't really football move. Season. I just yeah. can't move during the football season. That's almost impossible. And DK, one final thing. Yes, I understand Caleb Williams would struggle with a bad O line. That was my whole point. I can't predict Caleb Williams' career. If he gets paired with a bad O line and coach, he's gonna struggle. But that doesn't mean that <laughs> I'm not even gonna get into this. We're not gonna we're not gonna sit here and compare to Caleb Williams and Daniel Jones. I'm just not interested in doing it. If you wanna sit there and think that those two throw the football this anywhere near the same way or process the football field anywhere near the same way, that's you. You're allowed to do it but you're never going to convince me of that or Nick, if he's being honest with you right now. And that's just the fact of the matter. And look, it is what it is. Um, if the giants had the number one pick, Joe Shane would take Caleb Williams. I, I believe that they won't have it. So it doesn't matter. Before we got here, big dash. Were you at the game? Oh, Oh, big dash knows. What up? Big dash knows. Good, good shout out here. Good guy. Had it sucked being in there. So I guess he was, he was in San Francisco. Are you a San Fran guy? I didn't even know that. I don't think yeah. he is though. BD. Roger up if you can in the next like 15 seconds so we can get an answer to this. And if we don't, oh, what did uh, LL Cool John, you should see the fans in the stadium. They check out so quick. He might be talking about week one. Uh, I'm not sure. Big Dash. Oh, he says, yes, Big Dash was there. And he says it was a suck to be in the building. I can imagine. I can imagine it sucked to be there. And yes, RJ, we know the Giants won't have the number one pick. We're doing a hypothetical because a fan asked us a question about what we would do in that situation. We know Giants are not going to get the number one pick. I don't, at least I hope not. I don't think there's really any chance. As long as Jones stays healthy, the Giants will not, will not be in any contention to get the number one pick. For sure. No, no, that's absolutely not. Giants are a team that's a little bit too talented relative to some of the other teams around the NFL, even though. There are some quarters here, Dan. It has not necessarily looked like it. But if you're working with this offensive line, if Andrew Thomas were to be out for an extended period of time, you would lose Saquon Barkley. And that was the offense. It would be a rough season, bro. No doubt. All right. Thank you to everybody tuning into the podcast. Thank you to everybody tuning into the live show. These live shows have been very fun. I couldn't believe it tonight when I saw 300 people in here, which is a good number considering the game. Uh, we want to try to get that over 500. We want to try to get more subscribers on this page. If you're listening on the podcast, please make sure you also like the YouTube page. Otherwise, you'll hear from us soon. We've got film reviews coming. We've got preview week coming. It's a big, big, big week coming up against Seattle. So I want to do a lot of content around that, Nick. So we'll probably turn the page forward quicker than last week, just like we did for week one with Dallas, because we understand that you guys don't want to go too heavy on what just happened. But Let's just say this, this Seattle game to me, and I said at the beginning of the show, I'm going to say it one more time, Nick, it defines the 2023 season. This is going to be a team that will be right in the mix with the Giants for a wild card spot. And if the Giants lose this game, that means Seattle has the tiebreaker over them. That could come in 
be at the end of the season. So home game, all the rest. I don't know about Barkley, but hopefully Thomas will be back. I think Ojolari. the Giants should win this game. Ojolari. Please, dear God, have Ojolari come back. I, they need this. The scary thing is, Nick, like nobody wants to talk about Ojolari. People are so fed up with the injuries, but like they need him so bad right now out the there. Juice, man. So freaking bad to have that kind of juice and bend off the edge. Like he's the only one who can do it right now. And saying this too, like Ben Bredesen isn't an all pro offensive guard. The Giants should get him back. He's in the concussion protocol. Huge. But he is so much better than anybody else that the Giants are going to trot out there at guard. At left so guard. That, yeah. At left guard, yeah. And I mean, he's probably better than Marcus McKethan as well at this point. Yes, Although yes. I look at Marcus McKethan, and I liked what I saw against Arizona. And Ben Bredesen is, what, an average guard at best in the NFL? So that's just right. the state of the guard position right now for this team. It's not great. It's not great. But look, we got a long way to go. We'll see what happens. But thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.